Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Well, hey, aren't we grateful for our Vivace Ringers and Jan Weiser leading us? Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm just always amazed at that. It's, it's not easy, ringing that thing at the right time in the right way. And uh, just, you know what it takes? It takes a little bit of, of humility. It takes a little bit of gentleness. Are you with me? And then God's able to do some beautiful things together when you, when you actually submit yourself and you just, you just ring that thing at the right time, your thing at the right time. And well, we better get on with the, but that could be a sermon right there. Friends, uh, hey, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome you who are worshiping with us online. I do encourage you to open your Bibles or to pull a Bible out of the rack in front of you or turn on a Bible as we look to the Word of God together. And as we turn today to James chapter 3, uh, we have heard from Paul in Galatians, we've heard from Peter in First Peter, and today we're hearing from J- Jesus' brother James, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Let's open in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful that your word never goes out void, but that it is always accompanied by your Holy Spirit and accomplishes that for which it is sent. Lord, accomplish your work in our lives this morning as we turn to you and we hope to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." This is God's Word, and we are grateful. Amen? Well, we're talking today about gentleness and the civil opposition. Have you noticed that the common things aren't that common anymore? Common sense. If it's so rare, should it still be called common? Common sense. My favorite story is uh, I once to talk about this is uh, I once bought a round trip ticket uh, to fly, but I drove with a friend on the first leg. So I was coming to the counter to take the back leg, and does anybody know what happened? They said, You can't get on the plane. I said, What do you mean I can't get on the plane? Well, you didn't take the first leg of the trip. So there I was in front of the, of the, you know, the ticket counter, and I was saying, Yes, but I paid for both ways, right? Yes. 
and I'm only using half of what I paid for, right? Yes, he said, but I can't help you. I can't help you. You see, according to my computer, you are not here. (laughs) To which I replied, we can both plainly see that I am. You know, common, common sense. If it's so rare to have common sense prevail, should it still be called common? Common decency. You know, uh, you're saying, you know, I wouldn't say that about another person in public with no proof. Why? Because of public, of common decency. I wouldn't run someone's name through the mud because of common decency. I wouldn't use those words or talk about those subjects in public because I don't want to lower the bar of common decency. I can't remember the last time I've, I've gone to a sporting event with my kids without hearing someone cussing, you know, nearby. And I think, well, gosh, what has happened to common decency? Or how about common courtesy? Has that become unkind? I better just stop there. This becomes grumpy pastor sermon after a while. But if these common things have become so rare, then can we still call them common? Can we be a people that raises the bar in the common life? Can we be, as as pursuers of Christ, as Christ followers, can we be people who pursue gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit? And as followers of Christ, can we be an influence that lifts the common good? I think we can. And I think that's what we're called to do. One of the reasons we've become a punch harder, shout louder society is that we have abandoned the common. In particular, we've abandoned a common pursuit for the common good. And if we give up on common truth, then we can't pursue a common good. So we just yell louder at each other. In a book called Uncommon Decency, Rich Mao said, one of the real problems in modern life is that the people who are good at being civil often lack strong convictions, and people who have strong convictions often lack civility. We need to find a way of combining a civil outlook with a passionate intensity about our convictions. The real challenge is to come up with a convicted civility. We have to learn to disagree without destroying one another. I don't know if you know this, but some people disagree about politics. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. But civility cannot be abandoned. The real challenge is to develop a a convicted civility, or what I'm calling in the title of the sermon this morning, a civil opposition. A civil opposition. Mao writes, civility has its own value, quite apart from any evangelistic or political results it might produce. You see, he's saying it's not just instrumentalist to be nice to each other. It has its own value. It's not just something you use for evangelism or for a political end. It has its own value. To become a gentler and more reverent person is itself a way of being more like what God intended us to be. 
Rich Mao says, and I think he's right. How will we as Christians, how will we live our lives, how will we find our position in the middle of an ever-increasing polarized rancor? People are at each other. What does a Christian citizen look like? Gentleness comes into play, even in politics. Politics isn't primarily the horse race for positions of power, election cycles. It isn't primarily the talking heads on different news networks at each other. It isn't, politics isn't primarily the ranting strings of comments on social media. That's what we think of as politics, and that's why we never want our pastor to use the word politics, right? We don't even want to see that in church because it's, it seems so ugly and, and so hard and divisive. It, but politics, that's not primarily what politics is. Politics is how we order our lives together. It's a big deal. It's how we live together. And in a self-governing society like ours, a free democratic republic, politics is how we citizens empower government to order our common good, to... uh, to provide for everyday needs and protections, to, um, to, to sort out problems and, and to measure and sort out differences and to make our society uh, free to thrive. It's about living together. It's about living together. We just launched a couple of months ago a new mission statement for First Pres: light and life for the city. And a lot of us are still thinking, what on earth does any of that mean? I'm not sure. Now, on January 27th next year, we'll have a special Sunday called Vision Sunday where we're going to flesh that out as fully as we can for you. But that word city, that word city is intentional and deliberate. City is a way of describing how we live together, how we learn to bring our differences into a shared common good. As Christians, we live with others here in this world, in this time and place. For us in particular, here in Colorado Springs, we're part of a a city in this time, in this world, in this time and place. But our living together is pointed toward another city, another kingdom, of which we are already named citizens. We live together now pointed toward, oriented toward the city of God. The kingdom of God, where God's ways are the ways, and where the reign and rule of Jesus extends eternal and complete. A civil opposition governed by gentleness is a rehearsal for the kingdom of God. And it may sound kind of naive, it may sound kind of unrealistic, you know, it might sound kind of dreamy uh, to talk about living civilly with one another in a world like we live in today, but I'm telling you, you can live this way. It is possible. What it takes is listening to Jesus now and living as though you are already in his city while you are currently in this city. Do you get it? You can live, because you are in Christ, you can be rooted in the future city, rooted in the future city while you're living in this city. And if you are rooted in that soil, then you will actually bear fruit 
that bears witness to the kingdom of God and the glories of Christ. And that fruit will stand out in this world. Maybe we have our key verse memorized. Week three of this series, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Let's just say the whole thing together. You ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amen. What beautiful fruit. James, Jesus' brother, put it this way in our passage this morning. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, in the first uh, sermon on this series, I mentioned to you that gentleness and humility are, are tied together in the New Testament. And actually, this word humility in James 3.13, where we see humility there, that is the exact same word as gentleness in Galatians 5.23 that we just read. The fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, humility. And James says that this fruit, gentleness, comes from being rooted in wisdom. And not earthly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not what people in this realm, in this city that we live in call wisdom, but heavenly wisdom, wisdom from above. That's where the fruit of gentleness comes from. It comes from being rooted in the soil of Christ's world, Christ's kingdom, as we will see in just a minute. Now, James, if your Bibles are open, you could, you could sort of roll up and see that the first part of chapter 3 in James is him talking all about how to use our language, how to use our tongues. He says the tongue is, is like a, a, a rudder of a ship, and it's going to steer you in different ways. The tongue is like a, a spark of fire that could burn the whole forest down, could burn the whole city down if it goes the wrong way. And he's teaching us how to use our tongues to, to bless one another, not beat one another's down in our language. And here he turns in our passage to the actions of a life lived. So there's words and then there's actions, right? So this is, you know, you've heard, as, you've heard of stupid is as stupid does. Yeah? Well, James is saying gentle is as gentle does. What's the fruit of a life lived? Let your good life, he says, your deeds performed in humble gentleness, rooted in Christ's wisdom. Let all that, let, let what comes out of your heart and works itself out in your life lived, let that speak for itself. And then you don't have to yell louder. Your life speaks louder than shouts on the street. We've joked a lot about on the staff of Pastor Tim yelling about gentleness for three weeks. You don't have to shout louder. Your life lived speaks louder than words. But we'll be tempted to go in another direction. Look at verse 14 to 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. 
Seeds sown in the soil of bitter envy and selfish ambition, you know, comparison with others, uh, that, that selfish drive to be more important than others, seeds sown in an us versus them mentality, uh, seeds sown in that kind of, of envy and selfish ambition, those seeds, they don't bear sweet fruit when they come to maturity. The world around us calls that stuff wisdom, but it's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. The world around us even boasts at how adept they are at using uh, selfish ambition and, and envy and, and rancor, but it isn't anything to be proud of. Where the so-called wisdom is pursued, what the Scripture says is all you will find is disorder. Disorder, it's a word used to describe anarchy, mob rule, and an assortment of evil deeds, but nothing good. Nothing to enhance the common good. Nothing to promote the ultimate good. Nothing of Christ and His kingdom. But, he says, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. Doesn't it just make you feel gratitude that this even exists in the world? That this comes to bear. There's wisdom coming from heaven, and it's pure, and it's peace-loving, and it's considerate, submissive. I remember the passage in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Doesn't, love doesn't insist on its own way. Submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. Good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So what does this look like, friends? Let me offer you five characteristics of the Christian citizen as gentleness applies even in civil discourse, even in politics. Here are five characteristics. Take them for what they're worth. This is just Tim's tips. That's all this is, okay? You can use this. You can talk about it. You can wrestle with it. Open your scriptures and study for yourself. Here are my five ideas. Number one, a Christian citizen participates in politics, but only as a precursor, okay? A Christian participates. Now, that's important. Some Christians out there, they say it's time to not participate anymore. No, no, no. A Christian participates. Participation is not an option for us. We're, we're blessed to live in a self-governing society, and to not participate is a form of participating, you see? Non-participation is a political thing to do, and it's not what we're called to do. It isn't possible, nor is it preferable. We participate, but we participate as a precursor. What do I mean by that? As we participate, we recognize this is not all there is. Are you ever around people that it feels like this particular election is all there is, you know? We remember this is not all there is. America is not all there is. Our current society is not all there is. The current election cycle is not all there is. We participate as a precursor of the coming kingdom, knowing and giving thanks that our participation in politics now is not the ultimate engagement of humanity. And it just gives you a breath, doesn't it? 
Ah, thank God. Whatever the result, there is still a kingdom of God in heaven that is on the way when all things will be set right. And we are already a part named citizens of that kingdom by faith in Christ. Our roots are set in that soil already. So friends, you can breathe, (laughs) can't you? Number two, a Christian citizen can oppose and be civil. Civil opposition. That's what we're looking for when we disagree on either direction on the spectrum. Either way you're headed, we're looking for civil opposition. That says, I may disagree with you, but I refuse to demonize or vilify you. James calls the earthly, worldly way demonic. That's fairly clear. You see, demons just want to create more demons. Hostility breeds hostility. Vitriol produces vitriol. Hatred doubles over hatred. If you hate back, you've just produced twice the hatred. That's all you've done. It's demonic. A Christian citizen with wisdom from above is governed by gentleness, even toward those with whom they vehemently disagree. You say, brother, I love you. You are as wrong as the day is long. But I love you. I love you. See? Number three, a Christian citizen invests in the common good with an eye on the kingdom good. Each of these ideas, they deserve a lot more biblical argumentation development than I'm giving them. And this one, just write this down. Think about it. This is a very big idea. And this is, again, what we're talking about with this word city. It says, I'm invested in the common good right here. I'm invested in the common good with an eye to the kingdom good. I'm invested in in the common good today with my eye on the kingdom good of God's ways, God's rule, God's work, God's redeeming of this world through his son Jesus. I do invest in the common good right now. I do care about what helps the most people live the most fully in what helps the most people live the most rewarding and most fulfilling lives possible. I care about that. And I advocate for that and I vote for that. I vote for those things that I believe are in the common good. You see, that's how I arrange my, my political life is I want, to, I want to order things around the common good, a common pursuit of the common good. But it isn't only the contemporary consensus that matters to me, the common good, but what matters to me is the coming kingdom. That's a lot to think about. Maybe you'll hash it out over brunch or Thanksgiving dinner, maybe in a life group. A Christian citizen invests in the common good with an eye on the kingdom good. Number four, a Christian citizen honors, obeys, and prays for government leaders. We believe that God, in his mysterious sovereignty and power, is working in all things to bring his purposes about through those in power. The language here, if you're still awake with me this morning, this this line is going to put you to sleep. If you're still awake at all, The following line is about to put you to sleep. Ready? The language here in formal terms is, we believe government is an auxiliary expression of God's own authority established by God's common grace for the benefit of all. 
Got it? That's kind of what we testify. We believe that government is good. It's a common grace. God gives it to us to order our life together. And he's never confused. He's never wondering what's going to happen. God is using all things to bring about his purposes and sovereignty. You see? Look to him and find peace. So, we give reverence and honor to government authority and leadership even when we disagree. You see, James was writing in a time of great persecution and distress. Peter was writing in a time of great persecution and distress. Paul was writing in a time of great persecution and distress. It wasn't easy. And yet, time and again, they say you honor those who are in authority over you. Amazing. We give reverence and honor to government authority and leadership even when we disagree. This is where Christians... Stand for, for the rule of law and civic order. We stand for transparency and fairness, for clear uh, voting practices, for, for de- open decision-making, integrity and honor in our government processes, right? Jesus rendered unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We pay our taxes, amen? I didn't get a big amen on that. We obey the law of the land. We obey the law of the land. We don't defraud the process to get what we want. We don't believe we have to go under, under, undermining things to try to get what we think is best because we know that God is sovereign and we, we want everything to be elevated and in the public and open. Jesus submitted to the, listen to this. Jesus submitted to the authority of Pontius Pilate. He did. Oh my goodness. So this one, you know, this can be challenging. But here's the thing. You see, don't, uh, don't only call for honor and respect of leaders when your brand of leadership is in power. Remember, remember that when we disagree, uh, we don't grow fruit from the soil of bitter envy and selfish ambition. We are rooted in the wisdom that comes from above and we demonstrate gentleness Gentleness, knowing that gentleness is not weakness, it is strength, and it will have its own good effect. Five, last one, a Christian citizen loves the person more than the policy. You just follow Jesus along through the Gospels, and you see him doing this again and again and again. Oh, how he loves the person that's in front of him. I think of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, and here comes Zacchaeus, this, this horrid uh, tax collector who'd broken the laws and, and navigated the system to his own benefit, who had defrauded God's people and all of his neighbors out of money for years. I mean, what a, what a terrible guy, Zacchaeus. And there he goes. He runs up into a tree looking for Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. And Jesus sees him up there and calls him to come down. And he went and ate at his house. And the religious were angry, if you remember. They were angry. They said, look at him. He eats with sinners. And that's against the policy. You see. But Jesus ate with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, his life was utterly transformed. And he became a grand visible expression of the grace of God. Jesus, follow him through the Gospels. He never saw a single person outside of the bounds of love because of law and policy. Jesus never saw anyone as outside of the bounds of love. He saw them not as outsiders according to the law, but as people under the curse who were about to be 
under the blessing. And he loved them and drew them forward. So Jesus explained at the end of that episode, let me explain myself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus doesn't look at you as a completed issue. Jesus sees what you're about to become, you see. So likewise, always love the person more. Always love the person more who's in front of you, even if they're wrong. And let's face it, they always are. <laughs> you see, it's Thanksgiving, and, and you'll be around a table, by God's grace, pretty soon, of people that are all wrong. So you'll gather together friends and family, people that, that gather around the table for a great meal. And it's a time to, to talk and to share, to talk between generations from different perspectives, different ranges of experience, different political bents, different spiritual bents, but all with the understanding around the table, hey, we're family and, you know, whatever happens here, we're going to be around this table again sometime soon. So, so we'll deal with one another gently. And aren't you glad that Jesus deals with you gently? Aren't you glad that as Jesus looked to you, he doesn't see you as outside of the law but under grace? When you were up in a tree, when you were, when you were rooted in bitter envy and selfish ambition, bearing only the fruit of hostility and division, when you were up in a tree looking for Jesus, he saw you, and he called out to you, and he came to your home, and he changed your life, and he touched your heart. Cursed is anyone who hangs in a tree, says the Bible. Jesus saw you hanging in there, and he dealt gently with you. He transferred you from under the curse to under the grace. And he did it by taking your place as you come down off the tree. It's Christ who goes into the cursed position hanging on a tree as he died for you to cover your sins. And he deals with you gently and lovingly. And he sees you for what you're about to become, a child of God. What is our response, friends? But gratitude, thankfulness, a joyful spirit, a joyful heart. This is the response we have for Jesus as we grow rooted in the wisdom that is from above and we bear fruit of his coming kingdom and we are gentle in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've dealt so gently with us. Uh, Lord, that we can bear some fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Miraculously, we can bear witness to something much beautiful than any of us are. Lord, bless us, have mercy on us. For those, Lord, who are still feeling themselves up in a tree, rooted in bitterness, Lord, reach out and call us down and towards you by your grace. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.